Let's talk some more about another story that's still lingering. That is the Chinese Evergrande risk. Once a brief hot button issue, Jeff Kleintop joining us kind of lost a little steam at the second half of last week. Uh, Mr. Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. So walk me through the way you're thinking about it right now. Yeah, this is this is the big week, though, Oliver. This is where things really come to a head. Now, Evergrande hasn't just coasted through the end of last week. They missed a coupon payment to offshore investors. So it's not a mm. question of when a default might happen. It's happening. So what happens next? This is a critical week. And one of the reasons why the China stock market's pretty tame today is that in, in, in the high yield bond market over in China really isn't showing any signs of contagion outside of property developers is because the market's fully expecting um, a, a step in here that Chinese authorities will back a restructuring that'll be announced this week that will protect Evergrande's retail customers and limit the financial sector's fallout. And uh, China's central bank will probably also step up and cut reserve rates this week before the Golden Week holiday, which starts on Friday. If, if those pieces fall into place, then Chinese stocks could rally after a pretty tough quarter. But, uh, but that's an if at this point. We've got to see all those pieces come together. Hmm. So uh, the bottom line is there needs to be government support at this point, Jeff. Is there, that's a, a definite must, like there's no way through without uh, some uh, assistance here, some intervention uh, from, uh, uh, the, from the government, the central bank? That's my view. Uh, the the Evergrande's peers aren't powerful enough to force some kind of restructuring on their own. The government essentially has to step in and do this. This is, I think, the plan, but it's you know it's so hard to read into China and how how the the, the policymakers are, are going to move along this. They'll have an entire week. That golden week from the first to the seventh of October. It's basic, things are basically shut down. So they will have a week once they announce a restructuring, actually get it done, figure out all the moving pieces. But I think that's what's moving in the background right now. And I believe that's what the market's expecting. So if there's no announcement, let's say by, you know, by the middle of the day on Friday, you could see some stress in the markets around the world late on Friday after China closes because mm. uh, the expectation is there could be some, some, some fallout that could affect the world. So where should we be watching, Jeff, to see how this works its way through the market? Because uh, we got that bounce back in U.S. equities at the end of last week. But I mean, one could argue uh, that that could be very disconnected, that uh, maybe there's somewhere else we need to be looking. You mentioned high-yield bonds and credit markets seem like a decent starting point. Where do we go to kind of gauge how the market's processing uh, this information? Yeah, I think that's the, the first place to start. Take a look at what's happening with, with the credit markets, credit spreads and financial conditions, and then look to, to the currency. What's happening to China's currency versus the dollar? That would be some indication there. If you started to see a real plunge, uh, there could be you know grave concern about investing in China, or, or even uh, as we start to see the potential for some contagion to some major financial centers outside of China. It's not like there's a lot of housing or developer-related debt outside of China, but there is some in some European banks and some U.S. banks. So you st could start to see some pressure in the financial space. Again, if we don't see some kind of deal come through and a reserve rate cut by the end of next week. Okay, Perfect. Jeff, uh, in terms of where that shows up, I mean, we've gotten Chinese stocks getting beat up. Uh, what about the knock-on effect in the region? Isn't there like an old saying, 
China gets a cold, you know, the whole area, something like that. You know, there's one of those out there <laughs> to look at how the emerging market connects in other regions. I mean, is this potentially going to kind of spread through the area? It, it Yes, uh, in that there's a lot of uh, China consumer demand that really drives a lot of what goes on in Asia. It isn't so much about home construction. I think that'll continue. But it, this is really much more about how do consumers feel if there's a really disruptive breakdown here. And, and remember, there are a lot of suppliers and a lot of retail customers. There are a lot of investors in, in China, in Evergrande. And if they're not backed, then that could really create some concerns and further increase the savings rate in China. The savings rate in China is is 30 percentage points higher than it is here in the U.S. People don't necessarily feel comfortable with their economy, with their jobs, with their with their position. So they're holding a lot of cash. They're not spending it. And that could get worse, meaning a real slowdown in Chinese consumption, which could affect not only the region, but so many consumer brands around the world. Jeff, you've also got your eyes on the Japanese market right now. Uh, looking at your latest report, I thought that was interesting. We don't hear a ton of discussion about this as we've been hyper-focused on tech here in the U.S. as our hideout. Then also looking at the big bloodbath in Chinese equities. So what does Japan tell us and how does that fit into this broader conversation about the global recovery? It's really impressive. So China's neighbor has hit new 30-year highs. The Nikkei 225 index in Japan, best performing stock market uh, in the world for the month of September and probably as we get to the close of the quarter for the quarter as mm. well, even as the S&P 500 and Europe's uh, stock 600 index posted small declines here for this quarter. So it's a real standout. And there are several reasons for this. One is, you know, we've seen this, uh, we're, we're kind of past the Olympics, we're past this, uh, um, uh, probably the prime ministership of Yoshihide Suga, and, and that's going to change. Very unpopular prime minister. That's about to change with the new leadership coming in, likely to spend a bit more money. And then you're also past the peak in terms of the Delta wave. All that's come together to really help lift Japan stocks. But I don't think it's over. Uh, uh, Oliver, I think there's more to come. The state of emergency in Tokyo is likely to be lifted soon. Hmm. So you're going to get this wave of an economic comeback. Remember, we saw economic momentum peak in the second quarter here in the U.S., probably in the third quarter in Europe, may not be until sometime in the fourth quarter in Japan. So that economic and earnings momentum has continuing. And here's the real kicker earnings momentum is very strong. We are seeing about two upward revisions for every downward revision in Japan. And that's much better than the 1.4 ratio we're seeing in the US. So earnings momentum looks really good. Valuations are very low in Japan, and that's a lot more fuel to continue this incredible rally we've seen here in the month of September. Jeff, uh, when we think about big picture here, the 10-year yield starting to move. I know your view has been about those non-U.S. stocks as looking appealing in a very expensive U.S. market. If we do start to get a little bit more of that cyclical push, is this a period that could bring some of that outperformance? Are we back kind of on one of those precipices of potential leadership shift? Uh, it seems like that's the way it is in the U.S. stock market. Do you see that extending to potentially outside the U.S. stock market to see some different leadership? I believe so, Oliver. I've been waiting for this now for, for quite, a, quite a while, uh, at least several months. We're waiting <laughs> for yields to begin to, to move back up to a range we think they'll, they'll end this year, 1.75 to 2% on the 10-year. So we're still looking to that. As that yield curve steepens up a bit, uh, look for financials to lead. Financials are the biggest sector in Europe uh, and internationally, so that can really tend to lead those international markets to better performance. But take a look at what's happening right now between the dollar and the euro. 
nothing. In this breakout in 10-year yields here in the U.S., we've not seen any kind of move, let's say since the 20th, I'd say yields have broken out. Since then, dollar, euro, nothing going on there because European yields are moving up at the same time. Mm. That's a real positive sign that cyclicals are going to come back into favor. And yes, international should lead. Generally, they do in that kind of an environment.